It's March 3rd, and welcome back to the Squashcast. I'm your host, Rob Beaumont, joined once again by Jesse Engelbrecht. How's it, everyone? Yeah, geez, um, where to start, eh? Just that Chicago Open, what a, what a tournament. So we're going to look and uh, dissect that a little bit more, the men's and women's. Just an absolutely brilliant tournament. I'd probably say one of the best tournaments of the season so far, you know, in regard to upsets galore, the quality of the squash on offer, the drama that was out there, uh, broken noses, brothers beating brothers, uh, and just like the brutality of some of the matches, just the physical presence that was on there. So yeah, it almost feels like this was a tournament culminating in a, in a lot of hard work for a lot of players, you know, kind of getting towards the end of the season. So yeah, really looking forward and interesting to see, uh, well, dissect this tournament and then seeing what's coming up after that. Yep, the, the Windy City Open, one of the great venues of the tour. Um, a few players enjoy this one in, in Chicago with uh, the uh, the church background with all the, the crests up on the wall and the stained glass window that you can see from all the, the footage that we see online. Yeah, great venue. Um, up there rivaling, you know, TOC and the Alguna with, uh, with, with quality. What was a bit disappointing again as well, like by, you know, quarter semis and even the finals, I think there was a few seats, uh, ones that were directly behind the back of the glass, which, uh, yeah, was disappointing to see with such a prestigious tournament in what, what you'd think would be an easy, easily accessible site. Yeah, and we, we see that all too often in squash tournaments with prime seating positions getting uh, not used uh, to their full potential with... You know, you could throw in a couple of schools from the local area just to get a bit of a uh, bit of exposure. I know they do that with the British Open up in Hull um, coming up next month as well. So um, we'll jump into the men's and go straight to round one because, as Jesse said, this was an absolute upset galore uh, tournament. Um, looking at, at round one, I'm just going to pick out immediately that um, Mohammed versus Paul Cole. Mohammed did go two love up, but Paul managed to, to bring it back to two all and then take a three-love lead in the fifth. And at that point, I think many people thought that it, it could easily go his way. Yeah, you know, Paul Cole riding on this uh, wave of confidence that he's got at the moment, a 94-minute match, um, first round for Mohamed Al-Shabagi. I bet, I bet both players were a bit gutted when they saw that draw come out. You know, the number one seed, Mohamed, playing kind of uh, the, the, the player who's got the biggest wind in his sails uh, with Paul Cole. So, yeah, interesting to see Paul Cole fighting back from two love. And Mohamed has that little bit of tendency to to lose a bit of concentration now and then. You know, maybe he thought the hard work had been done and he could just sit back a bit. But, you know, credit to Paul, he's, he's, he's becoming pretty known as, as one of the toughest players out there. And, you know, a bit, bit likened to a young Nick Matthew. So hopefully that's a sign of respect to both Nick and Paul in that regard. Yeah, I can really see that comparison uh, with the Wolf um, Superman being quite a, a powerful kind of stature as well. We've also got in the, the first round with uh, Steve Coventer versus Cameron Pilly. Now, you said before we started recording, these guys are, are pretty good friends, but there was a, a bit of an incident at one all. Yeah, I believe uh, Coppinger broke Pilly's nose um, purely by accident. Um, I had a brief chat with uh, Cops about it. Nothing obviously intentional and, and saw a bit of uh, Cam Pilly's Twitter feed, you know, kind of explaining it a little bit more where he had to go pretty much put his nose back into place. <laughs> it sounded a bit gruesome and you see uh, Cameron sitting there with a with a bloody towel and, and sitting on the chair. So, yeah, I think that happened uh, in the third game. So it was one all and, and, and it maybe sounded like, according to Cameron, he he was gaining some momentum and felt he could have could have won that. But, you know, massive credit to Cops um, beating, beating Cam 119 minutes. OK, I think they'd taken into account the blood injury there. But, you know, Cops has got back into the top 20 in the world now and is and, and looking on pretty good form. Uh, and again, probably a 
pretty tough round for both players. They probably would have both looked at that and been, oh, okay, right, here we go now. There was maybe a few more easier draws both players could have got. Yeah, and as I've said many times on on the podcast, uh, I do enjoy sort of the, the taller players battling each other because um, you, you just see a, a, a chess match between them purely for control of that, that central T area. Um, we're also going to pick out Diego Elias taking out Ryan Cascali 3-Love. Ryan coming off that win uh, recently, where was that? Can't quite recall. I remember Ryan had a great end to the season. Um, I think he had obviously a good, good few wins uh, leading up to this. But yeah, that one kind of just went under the radar a little bit. You know, uh, Diego, who who I tipped for some big things at the end of last season, yeah, kind of looked look, look pretty pretty confident there. You know, beating Cascali through love, relatively long match. But yeah, credit to Diego. Um, moving on to another match which caught my interest was uh, James Wallstrop beating uh, Omar Mossad through love in 34 minutes pretty uh pretty convincing that one and and again james has got that wind in his sails again i think he's i think he's up to number seven in the rankings this month we'll we'll check that and and report on that but i think there was something on on twitter talking about how you know i think this was his highest ranking since 2014 so credit to someone like james who's who's in the autumn of his career so to speak being able to kind of get back to number seven in the world and, and looking pretty solid and um, yeah, just another one of that first round. Again, there's so many amazing first round matches. Qualify Leo Al beating uh, the seventh seed Omar uh, Tarek Momin in the first round, which again, pr- pretty big upset um, for, for the young young lad beating Tarek because Tarek looked like he was getting onto some form again. So be interesting to see how Tarek kind of deals with that and moves on. Yeah, an interesting one because Tarek has been uh, quite well in form recently, um, getting to the final of Channel VAS back in December. Um, we'll move on now to round two. Obviously, with fewer matches, there are few, fewer opportunities for um, some upsets. But we did see uh, Simon Rosner taking out Rami Ashur, Rami's first tournament back for a few weeks. And um, I think I, I literally said it in the last episode that Simon uh, seems to be the guy to, to take it to the, to the big top players. Yeah, great, great win for Simon to be able to get one over Rami, especially the way Rami won his first match. He just looked imperious. I think the amount of cross-court nicks he was putting against Oli Tuminen, you know, 23-minute match, Rami won that. Um, and then, yeah, Simon took him out, I'd say, relatively comfortably, you know, a 3-1. And, yeah, great credit for Simon to win that one, you know, take out one of the high seeds. But then the kind of argument is like we've talked about Simon for a while, like like he couldn't quite then follow it up in the next round, you know, had um, Ali Farag next round. And that's one if you if you beat Rami, you'd kind of hope you'd be able to back that up and, and double up your points and yeah, and be able to kind of see that through. So interesting, interesting to see where Rami goes, you know, first tournament back. So not expecting much, but in the past, Rami's had that first tournament back and pretty much got to the final and won it a few times. So this was a little bit of um, an upset in that sense. So we'll see how he kind of gathers himself for the next uh, few big things coming up. Yeah, no obvious injuries from for Rami there, but uh, he didn't seem particularly comfortable throughout that game. Um, we're going to pick out two other matches from round two with uh, Marwan Elshabagi versus Steve Coppinger. That was uh, Steve's last game with Marwan taking it 3-2. It's quite a tough game um, for, for Steve to take on uh, a really in-form Marwan. We've also got uh, Ferez Tosuki versus Kareem Goward. The only reason I picked this out is because it was fantastic. Um, it was, it, Goward took it, which you, you would probably expect, but the two of them played it with such tenacity throughout, really picking up astonishing balls. And I, I really recommend anyone going and finding either the full match uh, on Squash TV or, or just the highlights on, on YouTube. 
Yeah, and no, really exciting to see it when these when two Egyptians come across each other. You, you you know you're in for a treat, and the 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 style of the game is so open. They they're taking so many more risks, both with their shot selection and with their movement patterns. And it's it's just great to see that court opening up and and almost the randomness of 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 the modern game. I kind of like to call it. So yeah, great match that one. And you know one that I watched closely was uh, like Rob just mentioned, Steve Coppinger versus Marwan. Um, yeah, Steve had a couple of chances to go two one up. I think he was one. 10-7 and he squandered a few of them which which could have ultimately cost him the match because he ended up losing a very tight 3-2 to Marwan and that would have been uh, like like a nice double breakthrough for, for Steve to be able to beat Pili in the first match and then uh, back it up with Marwan and as we saw Marwan going on to beat I see Rob here's just got some highlights up so he's making sure that, that he's on, on task but um, yeah because obviously when Cops lost to Marwan and then Marwan, you know, the upset of the tournament, going on to beat his brother Muhammad, you know, that that was that was a an absolutely, you know, rip roar of a match, and just great to see the way it ended. In the sense, when Marwan won, he pretty much burst out crying. He just he just couldn't hold his emotions. It, it's probably been so long coming that he hasn't beaten his brother and been in the shadow, and you know, probably he probably gets reminded of that pretty constantly at his university. And you know, wherever he goes, he's he's known as the other Shabagi. So you could see the outpouring of emotion. And Muhammad was so nice, you know, kind of big hug and almost letting him cry on his shoulder. You know, the older brother letting the younger brother cry on his shoulder. I thought that was really sweet. And yeah, in, interesting to see where the rankings are going to be now because this tournament had so many upsets and I think it's it's up for the taking who's going to be world number one at the end of the season. Yeah, that match was a really exciting one. It was actually at a time where I could watch uh, the whole thing with, um, I think I came in at, uh, a few points into the second game and um, I wasn't too impressed, to be honest, in the second and third. It was a little dull with a lot of line and length, but really, these two know each other so well, being brothers, um, but it really hotted up in the in the fourth and fifth um, with quite a few little you know itty bitty things with the ref. Um, Mohammed had to change his shoes, and Marwan is complaining that he's taking too long. I mean, how long does it take to change a pair of shoes? And you can easily see on the on the video that um, you know he's taking a drink and he's taking his time. He's changing orthotics and all this. So you know the, there's going to be a little bit of contention. And then as soon as Marwan breaks down into tears, it, it's all, it's all gone. It's all in the past. Well, it sounds like Mohammed learned very quickly from uh, what Greg Gaultier did to him quite previously. You know, taking that long-ish injury break, um, but then getting a getting a bit of refreshment. And you could maybe just call that experience. But you know, I think no harm, no foul uh, happened there. Uh, another interesting match in that round. Um, well, I just sorry, go back a step. The Daryl Salby Greg Gultier was was set to be quite an interesting kind of matchup, but um, believe Daryl caught a virus pretty soon before and and just could hardly even kind of stand upright. And it, I think it was over in about 16, 17 minutes. And you know, yeah, shame. Poor Daryl got a bit of a bit of a bashing on on some uh, social media errors. Uh, so I feel sorry for him because I think that was a little bit uncalled for from some people. But Daryl handled handled it well as as he always does, and I'm sure he'll come back fighting pretty pretty soon. Yeah, he's a proper Essex boy. So I don't think he's going to let that that get to him. Um. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then one of the final matches, which was the big upset as well, was uh, the Spaniard Borja Golan. Uh, you know, kind of getting again towards the end of his career, thirty-three year old, beating um, the world champion Garwad three-one. Which the second tournament in a row, Garwad's lost unexpectedly a little bit early on, and. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's the case or could be, but have, have people worked him out? Is is he maybe kind of feeling a little bit of the pressure on his shoulders now? I think we discussed that as soon as he won the World Open, how he's going to kind of handle that pressure. And, and he did fantastic his first couple of tournaments after that. But yeah, maybe just, just that bit of edge is gone from him. You know, whether it's, is he thinking about things too much? Are the other players adapting the game to him? Really interesting to see. But yeah, huge win for uh, for for Borker, and and that that's going to mean a hell of a lot to him. Yeah, it seemed like in the game that that Gerlan really using his um, just pure pure stamina to keep the rallies going along. Um, almost seemed to frustrate Goward a, a little bit. You don't really see it in in many of the games because he he does seem so dominant. Um, Borja coming back from that back injury from last year so a really good um, way to bounce back yeah I just think Borka's style he's he's got this ridiculously good hold you know it's probably one of the best holds in the game he uh, lucky unlucky enough to train and play with him when he was younger and it just was horrible to kind of be on the end of every single rally you're either stopping or starting and then at odd moments he'll then whip in this little boast or get on the ball early and smack it but technically I think he was able to disrupt Garwad's game so maybe it was the style that Garwad wasn't quite comfortable with so yeah it's 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 interesting to see if people are going to look look at that and maybe try use more of that tactic against Garwad moving forward just um one thing to mention before we we dissect the semi-finals uh which was again brilliant from Chicago squash was the equal prize money uh, for the men and women which is great to see it looks like more and more tournaments are embracing this and then secondly um being quite a big kind of shout about it on twitter was the uh the five five hundred thousand dollar event next year for men and women so man that's huge you can see all the players were really appreciative of it they were they were really talking you know positively about that next season so credit to the guys over over at the windy city open to be able to get that sponsorship and share it equally yeah, and they, they announced that uh, just after the, the final as well, which is um, a bit of a surprise considering the, the amount of money available next year for, for the um, prize money. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how many we get because I think we had a few people drop out of the, the tournament this year. Maybe people will take a bit more of a risk next year if they've got little injuries and, and just want to go for that big big payday, hopefully. Um so yeah, we'll we'll move on to the to the semifinals, and at this point, it's it was um, we had Marwan, Ali Farag, Greg Gaultier, and Borja Golan left. Um, I think I spoke to you before the semis, and we we were worried about the squash cast cursed because we we almost expected Greg to to make the final at this point, and um, that that really was how it ended up. Yeah, geez, for once, eh? I didn't, I didn't put the hex on, uh, on, on my prediction. You know, I predicted as soon as you saw the semis. Yeah, for me, Craig stood out pretty, pretty quickly that that he was going to win that semi, and I, I tipped him for the tournament, which he eventually went on and won. But yeah, looking at the semis, you know. Um, the bottom half you know the three seed in you know two seed got knocked out and the top half the number five and six seed so yeah kind of again upsets galore and seeds tumbling uh you know great great for the uh spectator aspect and and just just to see how those world rankings are going to be kind of shuffled around a little bit soon just looking uh, a little bit more in detail in the the first semi-final with Marwan versus Ali Farag um Marwan was very clinical at the end of the first and the second you know it was quite nip and tuck but Marwan would get a little half chance and just pounce on it and and just be absolutely ruthless with his shot. So I thought that was that was really kind of good good for him. Um, in the third game, I saw Farag had a, a massive momentum and and just as he had these brilliant skills in the third game, like 
trickle boast and just using that kind of almost awkward languid style of his you know he kind of he's such a skinny 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 bloke um Ali Farag and he just kind of used it really well to kind of get under the skin of Marwan but you know Marwan was then able to kind of uh, gather it together and and win a pretty tight 11-9 in in the fourth but I think after those first two games you know because uh, Ali Farag didn't get any of those first two you know, momentum was was always going to be on Marwan's side. Look, Ma- Ali did as as good as he could to 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 stem that tide. But you know, once you're two love down against someone of Marwan who's just come off the back of beating his brother, it's going to be pretty hard to turn around. So yeah, credit for Marwan for battening down the hatches and and getting that fourth game under his belt. Yeah, real uh, a clash of very similar uh, frames of of player. They're both quite wiry. Um, in commentary, we heard that. Um, at school, Marwan was actually the uh, British national cross-country champion, um, which obviously completely different sports, but really held him instead against these top-level players playing. You know, throughout, he's, he's not played a match at, except for the first round under 60 minutes. Um, so clearly, that's 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 helped him along the way. Um, with the the other semi-finals, Greg versus Borja, um, Golan got one game. Um, but ultimately, it was it was it was Greg's all along. Uh, yeah, so you got um, Borka basically had two game balls in the second to take it to one all, um, and did this you know ultimately cost him the match, which which you could you could kind of see he really needed to get that second game you know Borka he he just tensed up a little bit at the end you know Greg hit a couple of ridiculously good shots but uh, Greg ended up winning that game 16-14 I think that second one but yeah Borka kind of squandering two two match up two match balls two game balls and you know there was some seriously big celebrations from Greg at the end of the second it was a 30 minute game the end of the second and you know Greg uh, pulling out his trademark chin and hip thrusts for the crowd you know crowd favorite there <laughs> well maybe my favorite not crowd favorite but you, you could see how much that meant to Greg uh, to get to win that second against Borka because he could probably really feel the momentum shift could have gone towards uh, Borka on the back of a good bit of win uh, win the round before and a good bit of confidence so yeah credit to it and then and then Greg was able to kind of see it out after that yeah, sorry, correction there. He, d- he didn't manage to get a game. I was looking at the wrong, uh, uh, the wrong match there. But yeah, 15-13 in that second game. So a three love, but 69 minutes in in total makes that quite a, a challenging match for for Greg to recover from and then push on to play uh, Marwan in the final. Um, and when we look at the final, it uh, from watching the match, it seemed that Marwan was always in it. But if you look at the scoreline, it, it, it almost tells a different story. Yeah, I think um, Marwan was probably, you know, quite quite a bit jaded. I think Greg talked about it in his post-match uh, interview where Marwan came to a much tougher draw, you know, having to beat his brother. And, you know, the amount of squash in his legs was was massive compared to Greg. Um, you know, Marwan came flying out the blocks in that first game. You know, he, he kind of just got Greg on and off the court pretty quick. And you kind of thought... Why well, he needed that, Marwan definitely to to kind of have a chance of winning, and he kind of thought, oh, well, is 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 Greg going to come to the party here? But you know, Greg kind of know, know, knows what what to do and was able to kind of stem that flow. A pretty tight second game with with Greg taking eleven eight, but then this is where I think the match kind of really lost. Uh, well, lost got got lost for Marwan where Greg took a six love lead in the third, and you know you can't you just can't allow that. You know, one or six love down. Yeah, he pretty much not going to win that, and and Greg won that game 11-2, uh, 
and Yamal and definitely looked jaded, almost like no interest. Uh, maybe that's that's a harsh way to do it, but you could see like in some of his lunges, he wasn't he wasn't even kind of popping out his lunges. He was letting his body weight collapse through the lunge a little bit, and then yeah, his, all his movement patterns were pretty much compromised. And uh, again, that that's where the match was lost. You know, the last game was 11-4 to Greg, and yeah, a shame because it, it it was building up to be a really interesting final because of what had happened previously all the seeds getting scattered but that's sometimes what happens you know when those those seeds get scattered and there's a big excitement early on by the time it gets to the final it could be a bit of one-way traffic and and it just did have that feel about it i'm afraid in this one with you know marwan quickly winning the first but after that not really able to impose his game on greg and you know yeah great super series victory for greg uh you know he's he's probably looking to get a few more of these later on in his career but you know you couldn't see greg retiring anytime soon the way he's moving and how strong he is and and very little injuries so yeah it's interesting to see these these guys who are 30 years plus being able to kind of you know battle on as as good as they are yeah real fantastic performance and we've talked in the past about sort of greg's psychology when he gets to these big games does he let his head drop when he goes one love down and we saw it a lot early on in his career when even when he took a lead he would get frustrated i remember that um british open final no world championship final against nick matthew that he lost from um having the lead um but more recently we've said it in the past that he just seems much calmer uh with just a level head the whole time and it was really evident in this this game he just got his head down he, he played through losing the first game fought in the second and then third and fourth came easily you put you put in the work early on and and eventually break your opponent yeah, I think he's able to handle his emotions better. I still think you could you could hear by the commentators and looking at Renan and his coach that they were still having to keep him in check. You know, there were still little moments with uh, Roy Jinjal, the referee, where I don't think they're the best of friends, those two. I think Greg feels like uh, pretty much a lot is against him when, when, when those decisions are being made. But yeah, I think Greg was able to kind of bottle it up and, and use it in a positive way. You know, maybe it's those amazing celebrations he started to come up with that that's his outpouring of emotion, you know, rather than... Rather than focusing on the uh, on the negative calls, he's uh, he's letting that chin jut go out and the and the the, the world class hip thrust. Yeah, I think he's got to be careful not to get a conduct warning for poking <laughs> someone's eye out with that chin because uh, it uh, it rears its well, rears its head quite quite a bit in the matches these days. Just uh, a great description from Joey. I think when Greg won that second against Borker, like I think he said, <laughs> Greg better watch out not to go into a full body spasm because he, he was just so excited. I just I was chuckling away there. So yeah, hats off to Joey. That's a, that's a, that's a good shot, that one. Yeah, definitely a, a, a great way to, to celebrate when, when you're winning, but maybe do it at the end of the match. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll jump over to the, the women's draw and um, not as many upsets throughout. But I think we've come to expect that with many of the tournaments these these days, and we did have a very strong draw throughout. So effectively, um, only real upsets were in the first round, and we saw um, Joel King going down to the Canadian uh, Sam Cornett three-one. Um, got a chance to play with Sam before Christmas, and she was telling me how she was looking to get back into the, the top 50. She's managed to do that now. Um, so hopefully, you know. She's been named PSA Player of the Month, Women's Player of the Month as well, um, after her, her run in this tournament. You mean after her time on court with you, eh, Rob? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Um, <laughs> we also saw Tesney Evans from Wales taking out Norel Tayab. Uh, it's just a break in seedings. I think um, anything can happen in the first round these days. Um, we didn't see many other upsets. Um, former world number two, uh, Jenny Duncalf, dropping to Renimo or Lily, all, the, all these things we kind of expect 
um, from from the settings in the women's play this time. Yeah, credit to Tesney. I think she's she's just found a bit of an upturn in her form recently. I think. Uh, she got voted I think it was Young PSA Player of the Year I, I, I saw something that, that she's got some sort of award and yeah you can almost see that that it's well deserved and she's broken to the top 20 so credit to her um, and just one other upset in that first round the uh, the local the USA player Olivia Blatchford um, beating uh, Joshna the Indian girl who was seated 12 you know in pretty convincing 31 minutes um I know Olivia's living up in Scotland, uh, her boyfriend's Alan Klein, so I think they've been doing quite a bit of work together and, and you can kind of see it's it's coming into a game. And Olivia really pushed Amanda Sobe in the next round, you know, like like I don't think she's ever beaten her, but you know, it was was really kind of showing showing her form. Yeah, that second round showing a, a tough three one with Amanda taking it in forty one minutes, but we saw fourteen twelve to Olivia in the in the second game and twelve ten to Amanda in the third. Um we see throughout the second round that Every match effectively went with seedings. Um, no real special upsets, but some great performances throughout as well. Laura Mazzaro taking out Sam Cornett, um, ending her run three love. When we move to the quarterfinals, unfortunately, again, it does go with seedings, but um, a little bit more entertainment throughout. Uh, Alison Waters and Camille Serm taking 51 minutes. Um, two of those games going to two, ma- to two points clear at the end. Um, Camille on a, on a real run uh, throughout recent tournaments. Yeah, Camille really, really looking the part at the moment and credit to Alison to kind of, you know, stem stem the flow a little bit, obviously didn't win the match, but was able to kind of put up a good battle there. Um, and yeah, like moving into that semi-final with uh, Noral Shabini versus Camille Serm, just back one step there. So Noel Shabini beating Nicole David, uh, 3-1, relatively convincing. And yeah, it's kind of like almost sad to kind of kind of see really when you see Nicole David lose now. It's kind of, it's not as much of a surprise that it used to be, say, a year ago. You know, yeah, she wasn't seated as high. But yeah, it's kind of a little bit more expected now. But, you know, I'm sure Nicole is doing what she needs to do and, and, and will come back fighting as good as she can. And yeah, I thought, um, you know, with Camille's uh, recent form and confidence, I thought, yeah, she could have got maybe a little bit closer to Nora Shabini, maybe taking it to five. But yeah, Nora, you know, looking looking dominant in that match, winning it in 46 minutes. Yeah, Camille took the first game. And um, I said when I, when I posted the highlights up on the, the Squashcast Facebook page that I, this could have easily been the final had they, had they not been in um, the same half of the draw. Um, but yeah, after that first game, Camille didn't really push as uh, push nor as, as much as w- we could have expected, um, losing 11-3, 11-6, 11-4, um, which which is a shame for her. But obviously, it sets up uh, Nor El Shabini, world number one, world champion, up into the final. Um, in the other semi-final, we had Renee Melwilili versus Noren Goha, two Egyptians again. Um, a great uh, tough tough three-two for for Renee and. Um, I really enjoyed both women's matches in in the semi-finals uh, and this one especially. Yeah, listen, 11-9 in the fifth, eh? Well, that, that, that's a toss of a coin at that point, you know. Great for Renim, the slightly um, older, um, mature, more experienced player than Noran. Um, you know, Noran Goha, b- big fan of how she's playing. You know, we discussed her previously on the squash cast, talking about she feels like, or felt like when Mohamed Al-Shabagi burst onto the scene in the men's, you know, that's what Norhan felt like, you know, the big hard hitter, really aggressive player. But yeah, she's 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 lost a few matches, not early on necessarily, but you know, lost a few uh, matches to lower seeds than her. So, be interesting to see how she gathers herself and and is able to maybe make an impact 
maybe as much as she did at the start of the season. So yeah, good good final setup between Noel Shabini and uh, Renim Al-Walili, which uh, Renim came through. You know, you, you would have looked at that and gone, okay, well, Renim, the three seed, you know, had a pretty tough match in the semis, a 62 minute. Maybe she just wasn't able to do it. But, you know, after losing the first game, uh, 10-12, she was able to kind of, get herself back in it and, and pretty much win 11-7, 11-7, 11-7, the remaining 3 and 42 minutes. So credit to her for being uh, the Windy City Open champion 2017. Yeah, she showed great consistency in the last uh, three three games of that match with um, a, a superb short game throughout um, uh, that she's shown uh, throughout her career as well, but really um, brought a, her A game for this one. So moving on, uh, we've got a few tournaments coming up with uh, Canary Wharf starting on the 6th of March, so that's that's next week for us. Um, this one's one of the ones that I've been able to to get to to the most in terms of um, viewing the, the tournament, certainly not playing in it. Um, we've got quite a few of the top seeds. Um, you just picked out for me Simon Rosner versus Paul Cole first round. Yeah, again, um, maybe both players a bit gutted by that one. You know, I think people are trying to avoid uh, probably Paul Cole because part of these tournaments at the moment would be based on his his slightly lower ranking position. So I think once his current ranking gets taken into account, he'll be seated obviously a bit higher and, and probably avoiding those big clashes early on. So that'll be really interesting to see. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. Um, a compatriot of mine, Phil Rushworth, runs the qualifying draw over at Wimbledon, Wimbledon Rackets Club. And yeah, I was lucky enough to play in that a few times and he does a great job of it. And, and yeah, eventually if you qualify, you, you get the luxury of going over to uh, the glass courts itself. I quite like how they've done the uh, the wildcard challenge. You know, they've done it every year here where they kind of pick two young English players you know and they basically have a one-off match to see who gets the wild card and yeah this year it's between Josh Masters and Nathan Lake um yeah we've spoken about Nathan Lake before on the squash cast you know a local player as in for Surrey Sports Park so we wish him all the best uh, to kind of go into that tournament and just one other little thing to note uh Omar Mossad's pulled out you know the number three seed and maybe that had a bit of a bearing on what we talked about in the Windy City Open you know he did lose three love to James and you know he might have been injured at that point so yeah we wish him a speedy recovery to get back into that one just uh, moving on to the next big thing on the calendar, you know, the the, the Wimbledon of squash, the Alam British Open 2017 up in Hull. Uh, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe this might be the last time that Dr. Alam is sponsoring it. I think this is the end of his sponsorship deal with it. So, you know, fantastic. He came on board and, and was able to kind of keep this tournament alive. And hopefully there'll be another sponsor in the wings waiting to uh, to to snap up on it. But, you know, yeah, kind of this is a tournament that, that all the players want to win. You know, it is the, the Wimbledon of squash and you know getting your name on that trophy even though it's not the highest prize money and maybe doesn't hold the biggest amount of points it's just one of those tournaments that yeah you look back on your career and if you've won that, that that's something pretty special yeah in the past it's been um, a bit hit and miss in terms of whether or not it will actually happen that year I remember a few years ago Rami Ashore winning the British Grand Prix and getting it mixed up with the British Open saying it was it was such an honour to, to win this tournament and uh, being a little incorrect in the tournament I was talking about um for me, living in the, the south of England, it's a it's a bit of a shame that it's all the way in Hull because I can't I can't easily get up there. But um, when it was at the O2 a few years ago, um, I didn't manage to get tickets, but I I always knew that if it was there again, I would definitely try and try and make it up. And you, you have it in that very open area in the O2 where you get a lot of people walking by and, and seeing top level squash um, uh, being being easily displayed for people. 
yeah, that looked great in the O2, and, and hopefully well, we'll see see what happens in the future of the British Open. But yeah, it'd be great if it comes down south again and, and see the impact of it down there. And the final tournament coming up, which is a little bit further away, the uh, Alguna International from the 17th of 7 to the 14th of April uh, over in Egypt. Uh, again, that that one tends to throw up some really kind of interesting results because of the conditions and you know the kind of Egyptian players on there in their backyard. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. We'll um we'll probably try to do a squash cast after Canary Wharf and British Open to kind of do a bit of a summary and give our feedback on it. Um, and just one kind of semi-final thing for me, like a completely shameless plug. You know, we've got uh, something at Surrey Sports Park called the Pro Shootout coming up soon on the 24th of March. Uh, got a couple of pretty good players involved so far. Daryl Selby, Joe Lee, and Nathan Lake to name but a few. And yeah, very unique event. Uh, it's kind of likened to the T20 version of squash, uh, the 2020 cricket game. Um, yeah, it's all the rules are quite different. Uh, two pools of four players. And it's basically an exhibition-style tournament with quite a bit of prize money on the line. So uh, if anyone's interested, feel free to just get in touch with us. 24th of March down at Surrey Sports Park. It's going to be a great night. Lots of music, crowd interaction, uh, and the players love showing off for that one. Yeah, and I know we have quite a few international fans, so we'll try and get as much so, uh, footage up on social media. I'm going to um, bang a GoPro on one of the courts and, and see what we can get, because these games are nice, fast-paced, uh, uh, quick uh, quick format that, uh, that Jesse has come up with. Yeah, um, we're actually going to probably film both courts. We're going to have a third camera moving around, so we're actually going to do... Uh, quite a professional event of it this year because one of our sponsors is a, uh, a film company so yeah look out for that we'll be kind of putting it up as much as we can and for me it's something that I'm, I'm looking to grow a little bit more I think it's a great format you know two hours of squash where you get a big crowd the pros love it because it's not a huge commitment and strain on the body they can express themselves and it's just meant to be a hell of a lot of fun which it kind of has been the last few years so watch the space for more of them yeah, it's always good fun to watch. And we even get some of the juniors managing to, to knock about with some of the pros. Um, so we've had a bit of an extended episode uh, this week. Uh, sorry for that if you don't like uh, podcasts over 30 minutes, but uh, that's, that's how it goes. Um, don't forget, you can follow us on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes. And if you're running an Android uh, phone and like to listen to your podcast, you've also got Podcast Republic, which is uh, an app that we are now available through. Um, stay tuned on the Squashcast Facebook page and Twitter account for all the latest from us. We will either see you after Canary Wharf or the British Open at the end of March. But thank you once again for listening and see you next time.